Today I'll be reading from Ephesians 5, to 33. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of his church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to the, in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of God. Thanks, brother. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what a great passage. Welcome, welcome to the shore. My name is Jer. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, we have all of our kids in here today and uh, having this passage read to us. Man, it is, a, it is a full one. Welcome if you're new here. This is a, a great one to jump into church with. Um, it's a challenging one, but man, it's so, so good. And so um, we're looking forward to walking through this. We are in the book of Ephesians. My name is Jared, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And, and it's so good to be with you here this morning. And as I said, we have the kids here. And so kids, look at me for a second. All you kids out there. So good to have you. So good to have you here at the church, in the church body and, and stuff. And so uh, it's, it's great. What we're going to do today is talk about husbands and wives in the church and, and submission and headship and all that fun stuff that you hear in a church. And so I'm so glad to have you guys here, though, and to learn and to grow. And uh, if your dad or mom aren't listening, make sure you uh, give them an elbow. Um, and uh, make sure they're he heads up and listening. But I want you to understand too, and there's going to be a drawing for you on the screen eventually that you can take your papers and pens out. This is a drawing that helps me understand marriage and also relationship and all that kind of stuff. But we'll get to that uh, when we get there. But uh, let me, let me bow, bow um, and pray for us. And so if kids, you can just clasp your hands together and pray with me. I want to pray for you this morning as well as we uh, open up the book of Ephesians chapter five. <clears throat> Jesus, this is, a, this is a big calling. This is a big text. Uh, you even call it a mystery. Uh, and the mystery is revealed. And so, Lord, would you open our hearts and our minds to this mystery? Uh, this morning as we talk about husbands and wives and, and the beauty of marriage, uh, but more so the beauty of you, Jesus, and the church. So I pray that we will reflect this relationship beautifully to one another, to our neighbors, to our friends, to, to one another here in this room, to our, to our brothers and sisters, and uh, to one another, uh, Lord, in all that we do. 
And may we honor you and revere you as Christ and Lord of our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we continue to walk through chapter 5 of Ephesians, like I mentioned last week, there are many contrasts that Paul brings forward. Many contrasts. And just as a really quick summary, we have contrast in verse 1. If you want to look at it in your Bibles, in Ephesians 1 or chapter 5, verse 1, you have beloved children. You have beloved children contrasted with sons of disobedience in verse 6. So beloved children, sons of disobedience. And then the next couple verses, you have light contrasted with darkness. And last week, we talked about wisdom contrasted with foolishness. And then now at first glance, you see husbands and wives, but rather than creating a contrast, we see a call to unity, submission, love, a laying down of oneself kingdom for the sake of another. A laying down of oneself kingdom for the sake of another. But that's just the start. You see everything that we have been learning up until this point in the book of Ephesians is directed at a God-ordained marriage between a man and a woman that goes back all the way to Genesis 2, which is the symbol for something even greater than marriage itself. Something to really focus in on as the kids are coloring. All right, Genesis 2.24, it says this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Friends, this is a foreshadowing of Jesus leaving father to be united with the church, to be united with the bride. This is a foreshadowing all the way back into Genesis 2.24. This is the mystery of of Jesus Christ and the church. In Matthew 19.6 then it says, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no one separate. We hear this in marriages always as, as the pastor performs a wedding. And this is the mystery that is being revealed to us in this text. And like we started in Ephesians 5.1 with imitating God in our actions, Paul is reminding us of the relationship of man and woman is a reflection of something far greater than we can ever expect or imagine. So as a husband and wife, when you leave father and mother and be united to the other, you're reflecting something far greater than what you think. You're reflecting Jesus in the church. Think about it. Is the reflection greater than what it is reflecting? Like you know the moon, kids, if you can remember this and know this, do you know the moon reflects the sun? What's greater? The sun, the heat of the sun, or the moon's reflection of the sun? Well, obviously the sun is much greater, right? Or you walk around a lake and you see the reflection of the mountains. Is the reflection of the mountains greater than the actual mountains themselves? No, the mountains are far greater than the reflection. And the mirror, when you look in the mirror in the morning, brushing your teeth, or combing your hair if you have hair, maybe combing your beard, like me, There's a reflection. There's a reflection of an image of God. Is that image that's reflected back to you greater than God? No way. No way. In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. See, we image God and clearly he is greater So whether in marriage or as a single person, you image God and what a gift this is. Like when you think about this, as an individual, as a single person, you are created 
in the image of God. You reflect God in parts of his character, not fully, but you do image him, and that is a sweet, sweet gift. So we image God in the Godhead. We see perfect submission, love, humility, and this too we ought to imitate, even going back to chapter 5, verse 1. So as we try to cover this passage in 30 minutes or less, doing my best because of the kids in here, uh, we could talk about this for hours. This is a mystery that the Bible calls Uh, And it's an amazing mystery that's being revealed here in our text. So please understand, we will not hit everything we we need to, but I do want you to do some some studying on your own as well. And so there's some great books out there. uh, And I can give you the list of those great books if you want to come and talk to me after. But really quickly, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood by John Piper and Wayne Grudem. Amazing book. You can actually get it free on DesiringGod.com or .org, I believe it is. Uh, as a PDF, and the first two chapters are incredible. Uh, The Meaning of Marriage by Timothy Keller. Uh, God, Marriage, and Family by Andreas Kostenberger. The Momentary Marriage by John Piper. What Did You Expect by Paul Tripp. And How to Act Right When Your Spouse Acts Wrong. That's a good one. How to Act Right When Your Spouse Acts Wrong by Leslie Vernick. Uh, One that I used to give out all the time for marriage counseling and marriage prep. Uh, It is the gospel over and over and over again. And that's how we ought to act. And so if you want these, shoot me an email. I can pass uh, the list and some other resources for you. But so for today, let's skim through the text that was read for us and draw out some important truths and then practice them. Not just hear them. Let's practice them this week. Brad Hambrick, a biblical counselor, says this about our text for today. This is incredibly important to hear and grasp because this text brings with it all kinds of sinful baggage that we have added to it. We've added to this passage, and here's the quote. It says, unless both spouses are coming to this passage with a reverent awe for how sacrificially, hear this, how sacrificially Christ loves the church, And how completely with joy and protection the church submits to Christ, each spouse should stop and reread. Like if you're not heart ready to hear this, reread Ephesians 1 through 5 verse 21. Until this happens, you have two people wanting to use God and the Bible to support their agenda and dreams. No marriage will function until you have two servant-minded people in the covenant. Both of us, husband and wife, single individual. We need to have servant-minded mindset in all that we do as a follower of Jesus Christ. And I love that language, servant-minded. Here's a diagram that I drew. Kids, you can, you can uh, pull out your pens and papers, draw this diagram, keep reminding your mom and dad about this. Keep pointing to it. Just go, hey, dad, mom, look at this. Uh, this is basically, this is a diagram that I drew a long time ago, about 10 years ago, just to help me as I read through texts of scripture. Often I'll just draw it out so I can try and see it visually. Uh, And this is a diagram I use in marriage prep class and different classes, all kinds of different things, but it's really helpful for me to draw this out and I'm hoping it'll be helpful helpful to you as well. But you can see right on the top of that diagram, you see God um, the Father. God the Father over all things. He is Coram Deo. We always live under the, over the, under the face of God. He is always in existence. He is forever. And he loves you perfectly through Jesus Christ. That's the arrow going downwards to that stick man. He loves you perfectly through Jesus Christ. This is Ephesians 1 through 3. This is the wealth of the gospel. He pours his love upon you. 
pays your sin penalty, credits you all of his righteousness and takes on all of your sin, pays it in full. This is the love, that's why that arrow is so massively thick and green. I don't know why green, because I couldn't change, I didn't know how to change the color back then. But just this massive arrow of, of beauty coming into you as a follower of Jesus Christ and you do nothing for it, nothing. And he redeems you, fills you with his spirit and then goes, this vertical love, I want you to love your neighbor like that. And that little arrow going towards your neighbor is a lot thinner because we are faulty. But that, that is our call, to love like Christ has loved us. It should reflect the, God, the, the Father's love. So this is the diagram and it works um, and has grown and has been a help to me and I hope a help to you too. But we'll go back to that throughout as we unpack this text. But let's start, wives, you're first, all right? <clears throat> Here we go. Verse 22 and 24, what a great verse to jump into. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and his, himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Just a couple of fun verses to begin with, right? Well, a few things to point out that will help us navigate this text. Wives, you are called to submit to your own husbands. Couldn't be any clearer than that. But the statement's clarity only comes when the full story of God is understood. You need to understand the full story of God to understand this, this type of submission. See, dropping into a text like this without the lens of God's timeline for us causes massive hurt, abuse, power imbalance within the marriage union and a distorted view of Jesus. I say all of this because of statements that I have heard in marriage counseling and from broken women that feel trapped in abusive relationships and men using these verses to usurp an authority of control, most often sexually or to control the environment of the home. So the wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The as to the Lord portion there is an assumption that you wives are already rightly submitting to the Lord that vertical relationship. You've, you've recognized the, the God's gift of a blessing upon you and so you submit to him first and foremost as a single woman and then in marriage then you practice that submission to your neighbor. And it ought to resemble some of what Christ has submitted and how he has submitted to the Father. This is, what, this is the mystery, that Christ has left the Father coming down to save us, to submit now to the church and to, to guide the church and to love the church. So this is an assumption that, that you wives is, is somewhat, this is to the Lord, is an assumption that you wives are already rightly submitting to the Lord but not just an assumption, but the prime example of submission, your submission then to your husbands is the reflection of your submission to Jesus. A question then to ask yourself, which might take some careful consideration in your own hearts, is to what did your submission to Jesus look like this week? How are you submitting to Christ this week? In your thoughts, in your actions, in your words. How are you submitting to him? And is that submission flowing out of you towards your neighbor, your kids, to your grandkids, to your spouse, to your friends across the street? Did your submission to your husband reflect your submission to Jesus? 
So wives and single women alike, you are not only to submit to your husbands, but the greater call is to first submit to the Lord, that vertical relationship. This means you lovingly submit, but not to sinful behavior. This is where the kicker, you rather submit to godly behavior that your husbands reflect. So remember going back to Ephesians chapter two, we have been saved by grace through faith, made alive, like we've been made alive by Christ in those that, that vertical relationship, he has loved us so much. And so no longer living out of the passions of our heart, but saved and redeemed by Jesus. And you see both men and women have a role here. Husbands, we will get to you soon. But wives, submission is first to the Lord and then reflect that submission to your husband as, a, as I've said already. But here's where it gets tricky and requires wisdom within community. And I'm gonna keep saying this, it needs to be within community. If your husband wants you to sin, then you can lovingly submit by saying, sweetie, the things that you're asking me to do, I cannot follow you in. I want to submit to you as my husband, but because those are against what God first has called me to as a, as a follower of his, I cannot submit to you in this action. And I love you, I wanna submit to you, but because you're leading me towards sin, I cannot because that goes against God's authority. So you maintain being submissive to Christ because that is of first importance and by loving your husband and calling his actions out, you are also playing your role of helper, your role of helper perfectly to help your husband fulfill what he has been called to as a faithful leader under God's authority. See, the second thing we learn in these verses is that the husband is the head of the wife and, a, and church is the head of the, and Christ is the head of the church. So in these few sentences, we are awakened to the structure of the home and the church, both under the authority of the Lord. That's why God is on the top there. He is in authority. He is of first importance. See, the church is Christ's body and Christ is the church's savior. We learn that the church submits to Christ. The church submits to Christ. And then again, we get the same call to submission as a reflection of wives submitting to their husbands. And again, this takes careful consideration. See, the reflection is not what we ought to spend most of our time on. Just like the mountains and the river or the, the lake reflect, are reflected, we not to spend just time looking at the reflection, but we are to look at the mountain, look at the thing that it, that it is reflecting. Just like here, we are called to submit to Christ and study and understand who Christ is. Our time needs to be spent on Christ. And by so doing, you will then naturally love your husband, your kids, your neighbor. It'll be a natural outflow pour of that. When you spend time on the vertical, your horizontal will be a natural outflow into your neighbor's lives. See that line, now as the church submits to Christ, this call of submission is for both men and women. And this is gonna sound incredibly weird, but we are the church. And if the church is represented here as the bride, then men, we're the bride of Christ. And so we are called, all of us, men and women, to submit to Christ, to his authority. And this call of submission, like I said, is both for men and women, like we studied for the past few weeks, what we imitate ought to be out of submission for Christ. How we walk ought to be under submission of Christ. Are we walking in light or darkness? Are wise or foolishness, drunk or filled? 
Now, are we submitting to the sake of unity? Are we submitting ourselves for the sake of unity, of his glory, his love? Listen to this. Our relationship reflect what is going on in our heart. I can't say that enough here. Our relationships, our language, our heart's disposition is flo- or our, our, our responses is flowing out of our heart's disposition. Let me remind us of verse 18 and 20, all the way through 21. It's one sentence we covered last week, and it says this, in short, be filled with the Spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is talking to men and women. See, going back into Ephesians further, you were adopted into the family of God. Just listen to these things that we've covered back to one through three, chapters one through three. We are adopted into the family of God, made holy and blameless, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, sealed with the Holy Spirit, made into a temple of God that he might be united with, the, with you. Paul has been setting us up to now end with the God-ordained relationship that points to his church and Christ and how we are called to submit out of reverence to him and his glorious grace. It's beautiful. And here we are in verses 22 through 33 in chapter 5. And this is where Paul is revealing this amazing mystery. See, Paul is showing us that marriage is the closest reflection we have to what occurs in salvation. It is the unifying of Christ and the church together as one. Let no man separate them. See, to become one, loving, submitting, serving, caring, helping, redeeming one another for the sake of God's glory. See, Paul is making a clear connection now for all of us through the beautiful relationship of marriage. The problem, as we all full well know, is sin. It's a sin of our hearts. See, sin distorts this, and we all know it. There are some men in the room, when I read a verse like this, that will feel empowered, prideful, and a sense of domineering rightness because of this verse. I don't know if you felt it when I read that first line, wives, submit to your husbands. I don't know if you feel it in your heart, but you need to do some checking. Because I know I felt in my heart when I was a teenager, when I was in my 20s, and sometimes even in my 30s and 40s, that I felt, yeah. I don't know if you can resonate with that, you men, but I know that that's a battle for each one of us because it says it's going to be a battle when we get to our, our section. See, there are also women here that have read the verses like this and thought, no way. I don't like that word submission. I'm a woman and I have rights. See, this, my brothers and sisters, is temptation of sin. It's become about your kingdom and what you get out of it. It's become about your kingdom, what you get out of it. It's not about Jesus at that point. See, playing, playing out that temptation of sin and making it reality leads to disobedience. It leads to the things that we've talked about in the first few verses of chapter 5. To be a son or a daughter of disobedience. To live in darkness. To be foolish. That's what it leads to. And God's going, no, call to unity. This is what we eagerly need to maintain and seek out in peace. Jesus gave us a perfect example of submission. He never dominated those around him unless they were religious zealots seeking their own gain. And even in that, he spoke truth that they might be changed. See, if you are seeking your own gain in a relationship, relationship, no matter what it is, a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, or wife, if you're seeking your own gain, Trust me, it will never work. 
It will never work. Wives, there is one final instruction for you in this text. At the end of verse 33, it says, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. See, this little phrase has great significance. In Genesis 3.16, we see the curse of God on the wife for eating the forbidden fruit. Back in Genesis 3.16, let's read it together. It says, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So you wives need to realize the battle you are waging continues. It's going to continue actually until Jesus returns and redeems us fully. The outcome of the curse is threefold here. The first one, pain and childbearing, we can't really do anything about. We can't do anything about, sorry, there's, there's really good medication out there, but it still is going to be painful. <clears throat> but what the curse is saying is you will battle with insubordinate aggression and control. This is going to be a battle for you. You will battle insubordinate aggression and control. You will want to lead your husband. And when that is not your role, when that is not your role to lead, you will lead through tears or emotion, aggressive talk, manipulative talk, twisting the truth for your gain. And you can tell this if it is your kingdom of self being glorified over the kingdom of God. So that's the second curse upon you. The third portion of the curse is that you will be flirtatious. Another way how you respond, again, can't change the childbearing painful part, but the insubordinate aggression you can change, but also this third one you can change as well, but you will, the temptation will be to be flirtatious and use sexual manipulation. You will seek pleasure for yourself. See, in the book of Peter, he talks about adorning yourself that you will draw eyes towards yourself, your kingdom, rather than encouraging eyes towards Christ's likeness. See, these actions out of the fall that you ladies will battle until Jesus returns breaks the relationship with God. See, going back to that diagram that I have, this is how it works out and plays out. If you break the relationship with God, that vertical relationship, essentially the relationship with others will be fractured as well. And vice versa, if you fracture a relationship with someone here horizontally, that is actually a representation of your relationship with Christ. It says this in 1 John, you can look it up, that when you, when you are acting out in hatred towards your brother and you say that you love God, you're a liar. So, so if you're, you're fractured relationships here in the horizontal world, if there's fraction there, you need to realize that that is a symbol of what you are with Christ. And that's why we need to quickly uh, reconcile. We need to quickly forgive. We need to quickly love. We need to quickly lay down ourselves for the sake of another, just like Christ did for us. So if you don't practice these things, you will find fulfilling the instructions to respect your husband and submit to him will become incredibly difficult. So marriage and relationship is very easy, right? Right, it's really easy. Like marriage is super simple. No laughter on that one, right? Marriage is super simple. But when you think about it, it is, right? Love God, love your neighbor. Sounds pretty simple. The problem is that it gets really difficult because of our heart's disposition. Our heart's disposition and leanings are towards sin, and that's why it becomes hard. 
Loving God, easy. Really? Not when it's about my kingdom. It becomes really difficult. So husbands, men, your turn. Oh, one more point, sorry. Big idea for you wives, biblical submission. Here's a little definition. For the wife, it is the divine calling to honor and affirm your husband, her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. According to your gifts, carry on your husband's role of leadership, but honor him. And that is your divine calling. And like I've done many times, this is your role, wives. We're going to talk about your husband's role in a second. Notice there's no elevation of one or the other. You're both under the authority of Christ. You're given different roles. That's it. Husbands, your turn. Verse 25 through 33 says this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and and without blemish. And in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore... A man shall leave his father and mother and be hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. So before we jump into the text too far, let me address the headship back in verse 23. This is the big idea for the men. Biblical headship. This is your call, men. Not like this. Like this, you are equal to your wife, but you have a different role. This is known as complementarity, right? You have a role, and that role is to lead your wife, to protect her. And see the definition there on the screen. It says, for the husband is, to, is the divine calling to take primary responsibility. Primary responsibility, that's a big role. Servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. These are, there are many components to this. Let me give five of you five for now why God has set the family and the church up like this. It's, it's biblical. This is, here are some biblical uh, examples of why this is, this is how God has set up the church and the home like this. Number one, Adam was created first. You see this in 1 Timothy 2.13 as well as in Genesis. Uh, secondly, the man's personal name, Adam, given in Genesis 3.17 is what God called them as, as a couple. This is why in, in Christian marriage, and if you didn't realize this, marriage is actually a Christian thing. It's actually in Genesis 2, before the fall. So God ordained marriage. Uh, and so when, when this world is calling things marriage that aren't marriage, it's not marriage. It's not marriage. God ordained marriage between a man and a woman. And, and this, this section here in this number two is the, the, that in Christian marriage, the, the wife takes the, the man's name. This is why oftentimes the, the woman will, will relinquish her name to take the husband's name. This is, this is a Christian thing. And so the man's personal name is referred to by God. Number three, the woman was created as a helper suited for him in Genesis 2.20. And just to go back to the woman, women for a second. If you think helper is a denigrating term or uh, like a a term that is uh, is unsuitable for you, let me remind you that God himself proclaimed himself as a helper. A verse that you need to hold dear to your heart is in Psalm 54, 4, or even memorize it. It says this, it says, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. 
What this is saying is that God is the undergirder of all things. He undergirds, why? To bring us to glory. Wives, what a sweet role that is, to be a helper, to undergird, to love your husband as God has loved us. Fourth, fourth reason for biblical headship is though the woman sin, uh, sin, drawing the man with her into eating the fruit, forbidden fruit in Genesis 3, 6, nevertheless, God goes to Adam. God calls out Adam in Genesis 3, 9 and keeps him to account. Going back to that definition, primary responsibility is the man's. You're to be, you're to be accountable for your family. To your kids here, you are primarily responsible for. God will hold you to account. Are your kids loving Jesus? Are they following him? Are they reading their scripture? You will be account. They won't go, God will not come to the woman. God will come to the man because this is how it is played out in the scriptures. <clears throat> Number five, Paul makes Adam the re representative of the human race and the origin of sin, the fifth reason for biblical headship in Romans 5.12 is through the one man that sin entered the world and through one man, Jesus, that sin is redeemed, has been redeemed by his blood. So like the wives, this section for the husbands begins with a bang, one that you will battle ignoring or using for your gain. So that's the battle here, right? Like many of you men will just ignore this and walk out just going, great Sunday, and just ignore it and move on, just go back to your own old tendencies. But I want you to change, men. I want me, I want to, I want to change along with you. So we need to battle in this. So let me uh, start off with the curse back in Genesis 3, 17 through 19. We get three verses, men. Here they are. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you are taken for you are dust and to dust shall you return. So like the women, these curses will, we will battle within the flesh until Jesus returns. The first one, we can't do anything about. Uh, the, world, the, the earth that we are to, to nurture and to, to provide provisions for the families around the world, it's going to be a toilsome action. You can't, you can't change that anymore. That is going to happen just like the wife is going to always have uh, pain in childbirth. But the other two things that you can change. You can look to the Lord, to the scriptures, to learn from and, and be sanctified in, but you will lean towards two ways of leadership. There's two ways of leadership you will lean towards, and the first is this, you will lead with domineering control or abuse. So instead, you will be like this over your wife. You will domineer or abuse. The second, you will act like this. You will act passivity in your responsibility. You will hand over the God-given responsibility and you go, well, why don't you do it? So those will be your two leaning points. So to be clear, this is how your flesh nature will want to respond. It doesn't mean that you cannot fulfill the call that God has called you to. So look back to the text and how we ought to lead with the God-given headship. Okay, so we're gonna close with these, these points. The first is, of these five is, or as verse 25, it says, you are to love your wife. You're to love your wife. 
What a fruitful gift that is. You get to love your wife, not swear at her, not verbally attack her, not hold bitterness towards her. You're to love her. And then Paul goes on to give five ways in how to do that. Love your wife by, number one, giving yourself up for her in verse 25. Sounds familiar to verse 1. As Jesus gave himself up for the church, we are to represent Christ in the relationship, give ourselves up for our wives. Your wants, your needs, your desires, given up for the sake of her, just like Jesus did for you. Secondly, you're to sanctify her. Well, clearly we have no power to do this, but we can know our wives and have a loving agenda for change, uh, God-like change. So knowing someone takes a lot of time. Question for you men. How well do you know your wife? How well do you know them? Like, do you know what they want to do today after church? Do you know what their loves are? What they, what they are ex- inspired by? What they, what they get excited over? And are you feeding into that to lift them towards Christ's likeness? This is our call. Has your wife grown towards Christ's likeness because you have led her in that direction? Are you growing in biblical maturity, men, and leading your family in that direction, or is your wife leading the charge? Like, these are hard questions. They're hard questions that we all need to. I'm asking the same thing of myself. We all need to ask these questions of ourselves. Am I doing these things? Am I walking in this way? The third is verse 26. It says, cleanse our wives through the washing with the word. Remember the curse men, passivity. Passivity. Passivity when it comes to the study of God's word is a pandemic with us as men. Not all of us. There's been growth over the years, and that's good. That, that, there's a road of sanctification here, and that's okay, and that's good. But are we growing in it? Or are we still the same as we were 10 years ago? Our Bible's still dusty. See, not all of us, but when we are given the headship of the family and hand over much of the devotional instruction to our wives, are we not sh- uh, shirking the God-given responsibility to lead our families? when we'd rather stay home, watch the game instead of reading the word and encouraging our wives to do the same. See, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. That's not my goal here. My goal is to ask hard questions because I want our lives to change. I want us to be, as I've said multiple times, and I keep saying it, that we actually, and we actually prayed for it at 9.15, that we would change as we walk out of this room. That we'd come back next week changed one step at a time. Verse 27, number four, present our wives spotless, holy, and blameless before the throne of God. This is humble leadership. Praying, inviting, discipling, evangelizing, evangelizing and getting, getting involved in community. Sounds familiar to our core values. That's why I have them as core values. We are to evangelize our families first. We are to disciple our families. And we are to be in community with our families. And to humbly serve. Looks a lot really familiar to what the women are called to, right? Be a helper, undergird your husband. Humbly serve your wife. We're both to be doing this constantly as Christ did for us. To undergird us completely. So you might be 
like men, like when it comes to relationship and present our wives spotly and holies and blameless before the throne, like it, it might sound really familiar and actually really exciting. It might sound like heaven to you to not speak with anybody for like 50 years, right? Like have zero relationship. Do you know that men after 25 years old, it, it is so incredibly hard to build new relationships? We need to change that here in the community. Like we need to get to know one another, build new friendships, lasting, loving, long-lived friendships with one another as men. This will serve our families well. But man, it would be nice to just stay at home and not talk to anybody for 50 years, right? That, that sounds like heaven. Like especially Josh gives me a big thumbs up. But you know what that sounds like to your wife? Sounds like hell. Sounds like hell. Hell on earth. Right? And so what we're called to do as men is to humbly serve our wives and to give and to nurture relationships, engage with others and with the word and then talk about it with them. And then lastly, and we'll close this with this, is in verse 28 and 33, love your wife as yourself. This is treating your wife as if she was your own body. You care for her as Christ has done for us. Men and women, men and women to you both, we all have a high calling. And the God-ordained relationship of marriage is the most beautiful picture of the entire story of God. God starts with marriage in Genesis and ends in Revelation with a wedding feast. It's amazing. The whole story about this is, the, is talking about men and women in relationship and building in one, one another. And it all points to Christ and the church. This is the mystery now revealed to us. May I remind us, Jesus came to love us, forgive us of our sin, pay the penalty we deserve, and to give himself for us, to unite us, adopt us back into the eternal family, making us holy and blameless, sealing us with his spirit, and redeeming us with his blood, that we might now imitate these actions with one another through the power we have in him as filled servants of Jesus Christ. Sounds a lot like what I've been talking about in marriage, does it not? See, Jesus exuded submission and leadership. Exuded it. Submission, leadership. Submission, leadership. He's known as the humble king. May we practice these daily with one another. Women, biblical submission. That's your main point. Biblical submission. Whether married or single, you are first called to submit to Jesus in all you do. And may this week, that vertical relationship be reflected to your neighbors. Men, biblical headship, whether married or single, you are called to imitate Christ in his servant, humble leadership, just like Christ did for you. First and foremost, relying on that vertical relationship and may it reflect onto your neighbors around you. Humble, servant, leadership. Church, kids, we're done. You guys were kind of good. All right, we'll work on it. But it was great. It's great to have you guys here. And I hope you guys had heard somewhat that the Holy Spirit will do something in your hearts that you would be reminded of the goodness of Jesus Christ and how much he loves you guys. And how he wants you too, you kids, to submit to him with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all your soul, and to give your lives over to him. And when you do so, that will only go good for you. It will only go good for you. Let's pray. 
Jesus, I thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for being here with us this morning. Thank you for uh, your love, your submission. You're coming down to save us from our sin penalty, to unite us together with yourself, to bond us together. That, that just blows my mind that we are now together with Christ, one body, united. Thank you, Lord. I pray that we will, as a church now, resemble that, reflect that with our neighbors around. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.